check this out, y'all. Audio level full volume. It's go time. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border to Border, 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here on a Friday Junior, as I've apparently learned. I had never heard that before, but uh, Robert uh, had put that up in our tweet today and uh, told me he uses that a lot. It's got a decent ring to it. Uh, I will uh, roll with it for today. Uh, got a lot of stuff to get into in the show, a heavy college football show, uh, some topics to uh, get into with regards to that, and also uh, a pro football show which I feel like we're always a pro football or any sort of football show. Aaron Schatz will join us at 315. Uh, He is the founder of Football Outsiders, which is the, I would say, the, um, I would say it's the better of the two analytics sites, or at least, you know, it used to be the the better of the two football sites, uh, better than Pro Football Focus. Uh, He's the creator of DVOA, which we see referred to every once in a while, and he puts out an almanac every year. Uh, when it comes to the uh, to the NFL, and his uh, current almanac is available, you can find it on the website ftnfantasy.com. You can also uh, get it on Amazon if you want the hard copy version. Um, he will join us at 3.15. I actually was listening to his interview with Kevin Sheehan a little earlier to get some suggestions on some questions and things like that. And so uh, you'll be surprised and unfortunately unhappy uh, who he thinks the best team in the NFC is, or at least who the numbers say the best team in the NFC is. I certainly did not like to hear the answer. That should give you a clue that it's not the Philadelphia Eagles. He'll join us at 315 to give us his thoughts and uh, tell us a little bit how he came up with the DVOA um, expression. And I'll ask him, listen, I, I think a lot of people know I'm not the largest analytics person. I'm not the largest analytics fan. Um, if he thinks that there is too much analytics, if there's not enough analytics, if there's some teams that use it better and we're kind of seeing like, you know, the Chiefs and the Eagles who are consistently good, are they using analytics more? And that's one of the differences. Uh, so he'll join us at 315. We'll touch on a bunch of uh, different topics. Uh, when it comes to the NFL. 3270888, that is the phone number. That is uh, the text line. 804 is the area code. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, for those who are hoping for Colin Selby, uh, the Pirates got back to me. We are going to hopefully, obviously it was scheduled for today. We didn't do it today. We're hopefully going to tape it tomorrow at 145. So um, hopefully I will have an interview with Colin uh, for the show tomorrow. Obviously the Pirates have the day off today, so we were hoping to do it, but uh, he is uh, put they are pushing it off until tomorrow. So hopefully we will have that on the show, and hopefully Tim Murray will join us. Uh, The Pirates will be in Minnesota to take on the Twins to begin a series uh, tomorrow. So hopefully Colin will join us on the show tomorrow. Uh, So, all right, so I I wanted to do a lot of different college football stuff today because um, there was a fascinating article. Well, not really fascinating, but an interesting article in the Oregon Live, which I think is like obviously theirrichmond.com. It's the Oregonian. And it's basically the Oregon State Athletic Director uh, talking to the newspaper about what the future might be for Oregon State and as part of the Pac-4, which is what we should be calling it now. And basically, he was very honest about it. That says basically they're hoping with the other three schools to revamp the Pac-4 and basically make it a Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever it is, all over again. They are committed to staying in the conference. 
And um, they said the very first thing that they are going to try and do is basically get Stanford and Cal to commit. And we know that Stanford and Cal have been flirting with some of the other conferences. The ACC has already said no because it wasn't a good fit. Um, let's change that. A majority of the ACC said they were interested. Four teams did said that they were not, and that, of course, was enough to not have them take a vote. So that um, prevented that from ever happening. Um, but they are definitely – he said that soon they will find out what happens with Stanford and Cal. And I think this is going to be kind of interesting because if Stanford and Cal stay with the Pac-4 and to hope to be the Pac-10 and the Pac-12 – we will see a lot more movement because obviously they can't keep their autonomy. They can't keep a lot of things if they stay at four. So they have to get, I believe, at eight or ten. So where does the Pac-12 go? And obviously um, the athletic director didn't say exactly where they were going to go. Um, but I think the I think the idea is kind of easy. Um, you kind of go and you, you, you pluck a couple of teams out in the Mountain West. A, a merger with the Mountain West I don't think does anything. I don't, I don't, other than if your TV deal, if you're the Pac 12, if you don't have a TV deal, then yes, you probably consider a merger. It may be a renegotiation of their TV deal, which is about $20 million, I think is what I remember hearing. Um, but that's only if you if you don't think you're going to get your own TV deal. And I'm sure a lot of the stations before sitting at the table at the Pac-12 are basically saying, "What's your deal? Like, what do you? Where do you hope to go?" And I think you go to the Mountain West. You take a San Diego State. You take um, maybe a UNLV. Uh, you take a couple of different teams, and then after that, you go and you go to the AAC. Which, let's be honest, the AAC is a horrendous horrendously put together conference in terms of just looking at all the teams all over the place. Uh, you go and take a Tulsa. Maybe you take a South Florida. If you're if you're the Pac-12 and you're kind of trying to revamp things, we've talked about it with several guests on the, on the thing. The Pac-12 focused so much on the West Coast that they ignored the East Coast where there's a lot of college football fans. And I think that if they had become more open to bringing more parts of the country into the fold – then when you come at people with a subscription-based service uh, with Apple TV, I think more people are interested. But if we previously can't watch a lot of Pac-12 action, what do we care? Why are we going to go to Apple TV and go purchase you know, a subscription? You know, There's no more Ted Lasso, most likely. Still have to watch that last season. I know they have several other shows that are interesting on Apple TV. But like the Pac-12, by ignoring the East Coast, kind of did this to themselves. The other thing I thought was interesting is they have not allowed George Klevikoff the commissioner in on the negotiations and so it's like well if the commissioner's not allowed to discuss things because he's definitely part of the reason why this whole thing broke off when they asked for too much money because people he thought he could trust said yeah you guys are worth more money well this is where they are now the irony is the four schools have hired oliver luck i feel like anything college athletics related oliver luck is, has his name in there um, the former athletic director at West Virginia. He worked for the NCAA. Basically, anything college-related, you hear the name Oliver Luck, and now he is helping the Pac-4 uh, get involved. The last aspect of this um, is I think some people are kind of wondering, and I, I've kind of wondered, what happens for North Dakota State, South Dakota State? Like, th they dominate the FCS. They obviously have great facilities. They obviously have the talent to compete. We've seen year after year uh, one of those teams or both of them have upset FBS teams. So Sam Herter, who covers the FCS, um, taught, uh, did a very nice thread in terms of you know, what it would take 
for those teams to go. And um, he seems to think more that they would be likely to go to the Mountain West if all the Mountain West schools don't go to the Pac-12. Because he seems to think that if the Mountain West, you know, San Diego State, UNLV, Fresno State, whatever, goes to the Pac-12, he thinks the Mountain West would then jump to the, the, you know, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Montana, and Montana State. And then that, because they think financially a move to that would be would be very profitable for those schools. And then I don't know what the FCS does if they lose North of the Dakotas, because the Dakotas carry the FCS. You know, the, the, the FCS bends over backwards for both of those schools to make sure they get as close to the championship as possible. See, a couple of years ago when JMU had to go to North Dakota State instead of the other way around, they know where their bread is buttered, and it is with uh, the Dakotas and the Montanas and the uh, Northern Iowas, Southern Illinois, all that stuff. Like, they might as well just do the Missouri Valley Football Conference, and that's about it because that's all they really care about. Um, but that's kind of, if you have time, go read Sam Herter's tweet thread at Sam Herter FCS as to how or when, because we've always asked the question, when would North Dakota State and South Dakota State jump to the FBS level? He kind of lays out how it would go uh, for one of them or both of them or or even the Montanas too as well, how they would jump to the F- FBS level. It's, it's a really interesting article, uh, so make sure to check that out. But the Pac-12 slash Pac-4 is now trying to make moves now it's a little late for next year, but we'll see what happens uh, if you can bend some rules in terms of some teams leaving conferences. Um, but that's a story we will certainly keep watching. And there was mention the ACC, like the once again, Grant of Rights is locking everybody in. So nobody from the ACC is going to the Pac-12, not even Florida State, who would leave for anything right now. Uh, let's take a timeout. Coming up, uh, DVOA is one of the many statistics you may read if you're into analytics. The creator of DVOA and the author of the FTN Football Almanac 2023, the essential guide to the 2023 NFL season, Aaron Schatz, will join us next. Unfortunately, for those of us who do not like Dallas, he's got some positive things to say about the Cowboys. He will join us next, and then a little later... Big game boomer with a list that has elicited a lot of reactions in the state of Virginia. We'll do that as well. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN. The Atlanta Braves are rolling with their sights set on a sixth straight division title and their second championship in three years. Catch the action here on 106.1 ESPN Richmond. Your home for the Atlanta Braves in the capital city. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN Matt Joseph's here. We love the NFL season. There is a game tonight. It's the Eagles and the Browns. I'll watch some of it as an Eagles fan. Uh, but I expect a lot of people not to play tonight on either side because they had some pretty spirited uh, joint practices uh, earlier this week. Um, we talk a lot of NFL on the show, and some of the stuff we kind of throw around is the DVOA. We refer to the website footballoutsiders.com, which means we refer to our next guest. He's got his FTN Football Almanac out right now. You can find it on ftnfantasy.com or get it on amazon.com if you want the hard copy. Uh, joining us now, the author is Aaron Schatz. Aaron, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. August is a great time to talk football. And yeah, football tonight, although it's weird, man. A week two of the preseason is normally when you play your starters, but apparently not tonight. Do you think we'll ever go to a system where like, we just cut off another preseason game and then we air the joint practices since a lot more gets done on them instead? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, we're, it, it's eventually going to go to two preseason games and 18 regular season games. I don't think anybody doubts that at some point that's what the league's going to get. Uh, so, Aaron, we refer to the DVOA quite a bit. How did you come up with this formula, and are you as surprised at its popularity as it is right now? Yeah, I mean, I uh, it was a little side project uh, while I was working for an Internet company 20 years ago, and I never expected it to become a career. So it's uh, absolutely surprised, but it's, it's wonderful to be able to talk about football for a living. Uh, the ideas come from a book called The Hidden Game of Football, which is really a seminal text for football analytics, but I just took those ideas and I, I brought them a lot farther by measuring all the players back in 2002 and comparing them to average, and it turned out that I had a stat that was more accurate than all the conventional stats and more predictive, and so I've been playing around with it ever since. So for the common fan, what are you weighing when you what – go, what goes into this number? Explain it to, to the fans who watch football and may not know what you're referring to. Every single play is measured separately for success based on the down and distance and then adjusted based on the situation and opponent. Okay, and so how much does it change as as the season goes along? I'm assuming every game the numbers change a little bit. Sure, because every game gives you more of a sample to add to what you know. So... You know, we have ratings that include our preseason projections and gradually fade those out in favor of what happens during the season. And then we have ratings that just use what happens during the season. And, yeah, obviously with every game you get more information about how good or bad a team really is, and you incorporate that into the numbers. How much, and with you, we just talked about it in terms of the preseason, which we don't see a lot of the starters, can you add anything or glean anything from the preseason if a lot of the starters aren't even playing? No, not really. When I say preseason projections, I mean the projections that we do based on how good teams have been over the last three years and what personnel changes they made in the offseason and what coaching changes they made. I'm not talking about actual preseason football. I don't think you learn much from preseason football except that you learn where players stand on the depth chart for their teams. Because if a player, if a team is sitting their starters, and they're sitting some rookie, that means that guy's considering the rookie to be one of the starters. And so we have essentially a rookie uh, under center, most likely for the Washington Commanders. How do you factor what we saw in such limited action for Sam Howe and bring it forward to uh, projecting this year's uh, Commanders offense? It's so hard. He was below average as a passer in that one game, but it was just one game. But overall, the, the problem is, You really can't project a good performance for a fifth-round pick with one game of experience, right? If you had like eight or nine games of experience, then you start to have enough of a sample that you can guess at how good he is. But with one game of experience, you really all you know is that he was a fifth-round pick, and the expectations for a fifth-round pick have to be very low. And then you kind of complicate things a little bit, although it improves the offense. You bring in a guy like Eric Bieniemy with an offense that was so successful in Kansas City, obviously with better players. How do we kind of factor in the Eric Bieniemy angle to this whole thing? He's got to help the offense. You know, he, you, you want to believe that he will, but there's no statistical evidence that you can say that he will. In other words, it, it's basically just a subjective feeling that we have, that he is an upgraded offensive coordinator. 
statistically, it's not like there is a record of Eric Bieniemy going to six different teams and constantly improving offenses, right? He's only been the coordinator for one team, which happened to have the best quarterback in football. So you don't really know how much impact he actually has. So we want to believe that he's going to have an impact. We want to believe he's going to make things better. There's no evidence that that's the case. I've consistently said I think Terry McLaurin's underrated at wide receiver because he's had nothing to work with at quarterback. What do the numbers say about how good Terry McLaurin is? Well, I think Terry McLaurin has reached the point where he is so uh, underrated that he's properly rated. I wouldn't say that he's overrated, but I would say that he's properly rated because I think everyone out there knows that he hasn't had much to work with at quarterback, and yet he does really well in all kinds of statistics, whether it's charting stats that like chart how guys run routes or even our advanced stats. In our DYAR total value stats, Terry McLaurin was sixth among all wide receivers last year, and that was with the bad quarterback play. Sixth. So I think people realize how good McLaurin is. He's not underrated. People know. How much of a difference is there in your projections for this team if Jacoby Brissett starts? I imagine it's not that much different. I would say we would definitely project them better with Jacoby Brissett as the starter. Now, the difficult thing about Brissett is that he was very good last year, but that really sticks out like a sore thumb on his career, and I don't think you can expect that again. But I do think the expectations for Brissett on offense would be better than Howell. If all this team wanted to do was make the playoffs, they should go with Brissett as the quarterback. They have a better chance to make the playoffs if he's the quarterback. If what they're trying to do is figure out what they're building for the future, then you've got to see what you have at Howell. Last thing on this offense here, is the offensive line going to be as disastrous as we potentially think it could be? Um, I think it's more mediocre than disastrous. They had a lot of injuries last year on the Washington offensive line, and so you can't, you know, blame them too much for for last year's injury. You know, I don't know if it's really one of the worst lines in the league. Like Tennessee's is pretty bad, uh, but it's not like a strength of the team or anything. I think when you talk about Howell and how difficult it is to project him, you have someone similar in Atlanta in Desmond Ritter. The difference is Ritter has much better pieces around him. Ritter has a better offensive line. Ritter has a better running back. Ritter has better tight end. And Ritter has good receivers, even if he doesn't have anyone as good as McLaurin. All right, let's go to the positive part of the Washington Commanders, and that is their defense. I mean, how good is their defense? Obviously, Chase Young got hurt, so that took away some of the potential. He's back. We hope that he's going to be fully healthy this season. Just give us your thoughts and some notes on the Commanders' defense. I think the commander's defense will be really good. We actually have them projected in the top five. They were ninth in our numbers last year, but they were ninth despite being only 30th in the league in takeaways per drive. And takeaways per drive is something that very much regresses towards the mean from year to year. So it's very likely Washington will have more turnovers this year, and they help that along by drafting cornerbacks with a good record of getting turnovers. And more turnovers will help to uh, counteract any decline from their defense overall. So I think Washington will have a very good defense. I think what you're talking about here is a team with a very good defense and a very bad offense. 
You can get the FTN Football Almanac on ftnfantasy.com, or you can find it on uh, amazon.com if you want the hard copy. So I was listening to my good friend Kevin Sheehan earlier when he talked to you about uh, uh, what you found, and I was disturbed uh, at who you said who the numbers came up with as the best team in the NFC. Please reveal to the listeners who uh, is number one in the NFC this year. Our number one team in the NFC is the Dallas Cowboys. And how by yeah. how much? Was it overwhelming? Was it by a lot? No, it's not by that much. It's by a little bit over San Francisco. Uh, in average wins in our simulations, Dallas is at 11.14 and San Francisco's at 11.08. So that's pretty close. But uh, we do have Dallas as the better team overall. They are number three projected offense and number three projected defense. They are just a really good overall team. They're coming off two 12-5 seasons. Don't get misled by the playoff losses. In the regular season, this has been one of the top teams in the league. I also have questions about Mike McCarthy taking over the offensive play calling, but I still think they are good to go over their Vegas number of 10.0. Is there anything in the numbers that quantify clutch in terms of, you know, Dak has thrown some key interceptions. He had that slide in the playoffs two years ago. Uh, it feels like at times Dallas has the unclutch plays. Is there something in your, in your numbers that kind of factors all that in? Sure, you can quantify clutch by looking at how players do in clutch situations. The problem is it's not predictive in any way. How players perform in the clutch does not predict how they will perform in the clutch in the future. And therefore, for example, Derek Carr, okay, had phenomenal numbers in the clutch for years. And then last year in the clutch was horrible, horrible. So there's no predictive value. I mean, if you're just talking about going back to the past, like let's say you're doing somebody's a Hall of Fame case, right? The Hall of Fame is not about what might happen in the future. The Hall of Fame is about what actually happened. And you can absolutely quantify that a guy was absolutely clutch. It just doesn't predict anything for the next time that player is in the, in the game when it's close. So your numbers say Dallas is number one in the division. I'm guessing the Eagles are number two. Then does it go Commanders-Giants or Giants-Commanders? It goes Commanders and then Giants. The Giants were better than uh, their underlying stats last year. They were kind of lucky. That being said, I do think Brian Dable did a great coaching job. If you said to me, Brian Dable somehow coaxes this team into having a top-ten offense and they have a winning record again, I don't think you're crazy, but overall, we do have Washington higher than the Giants. The Giants have the hardest schedule in the NFC. Who do your numbers like more than maybe, let's say, the Vegas numbers do? Which would be one of the bigger overs that you would play in terms of a win total because your numbers like this team so much? Like the Atlanta Falcons. The, uh, Is it the Atlanta B. John Robinson? Uh, not because of Bijan Robinson, more because of Calais Campbell and Jesse Bates and David Onyemata and the players that were added on defense. Uh, but we also like the players around Ritter, like Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London. Uh, we think Atlanta can be a good defense, and they're going to have a below-average offense, but we don't think it's going to be too bad. And here's the thing. New Orleans and Atlanta have the easiest schedules in the league by far. There's like a big gap between New Orleans and Atlanta and everybody else in the league when it comes to schedule strength. 
So we actually have New Orleans and Atlanta both projected to go to the playoffs over teams that are better than them but will have harder schedules. How about in the AFC? Is there a team that has a drastic difference from the Vegas win totals? I would say our biggest difference in the AFC is, is uh, it's not the most interesting team, but the Raiders. We have the Raiders as a kind of average team, a little bit below average, and their Vegas number is 6.5. In our simulations, they average eight wins. Uh, more interesting is the Cleveland Browns, who are, uh, we only have them a game above what Vegas has, but the Cleveland is interesting because we actually have them as the favorite in the hardest division in the league, the AFC North, even though Cincinnati is the better team because Cincinnati has the harder schedule. Is that also projecting that Deshaun Watson returns to what he used to be in Houston? Yeah, that, I mean, we're projecting that because it's a sample size question. If you think about, you have two and a half years of Kevin Stefanski running a good offense with bad quarterbacks. And you have what, however many years of Deshaun Watson being a really good quarterback. And then you have six bad games. So what are you going to believe more? Two and a half years and three years and whatever, all these players have been good? Or those six bad games from last year? You're going to believe more in the larger sample. Let's go bigger picture here. Do you notice the better teams in the NFL using analytics more? Is it something that some teams should be using a lot more than they already do? I mean, I would like to see certain teams use it more. Listen, everybody knows the hobby horse of the analytics people is fourth down. And even though coaches go for it on fourth down more often than they used to, there are still some coaches, even smart coaches, who are left behind on this. And I would love to see them not be left behind because, frankly, a game where you go for it more often on fourth and short is a better, more interesting game. Analytics has made baseball more boring. But analytics makes football more exciting. Before we let you go, Aaron, why don't you tell everybody what they can expect if they purchase the uh, FTN Football Almanac. Uh, is a lot of information, certainly, in the book. Yeah, tons of stats, but also, you know, tons of words. Like, it's not just a bunch of tables. We describe to you why we think things are the way they are, what happened last year, what will happen this year. We've done a lot of film study to go with the stat work. There's full chapters on all 32 teams. Uh, award-winning fantasy football projections from Jeff Radcliffe uh, with write-ups on all quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, and all of our award-winning top team projections is all in the FTN Football Almanac 2023. And you can find it at com. and if you want the hard copy, Amazon.com, correct? Amazon.com has the hard copy. Yep, PDF at FTN Fantasy. Look for the picture of Patrick Mahomes on the cover of the book. Aaron, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for educating us. Thanks for having me on the show, guys, and I uh, hope folks will get the book and enjoy the season. All right, that is uh, Aaron Schatz, uh, uh, the creator of the DVOA and the author of the FTN Football Almanac 2023. Uh, we'll react to some of the things he said and uh, t- uh, touch on Big game boomer who's going to annoy some people in the state of Virginia. Uh, we'll get to that as well. Just past the halfway point, you're listening to 106.1 ESPN. 
miss out on some Big Al life advice or the newest thing Matt Josephs hates? We've got you covered. You can find replays of all our shows and interviews on our website at ESPNRichmond.com. ESPNRichmond.com. Or on the iHeartRadio app. Just search. Just search. 1061 ESPN Richmond. Find. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN Matt Josephs here. Uh, taking it to 4 o'clock. As uh, we are here on a Thursday, yes, there is NFL football tonight, but from what I could tell, there's no Deshaun Watson, no Jalen Hurts, no anybody good. I don't even know if it's on national TV tonight. I assume it is. Um, as I said, I will I will watch some of it because it's my team and because I figured out how to um, stream it online. But I, um, I'm not going to be thrilled. Oh, it's on the NFL Network tonight. Okay. So if you want to check out some NFL football, loosely NFL football, or if you have not gotten enough Cleveland Browns because this is their third game considering they played in the um, Hall of Fame game, well, then you're in luck because here they are. Uh, 3270-888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. I, I will restate my position. Um, I've never been, or at least I'm not as much, of an analytics guy as I – as I should be. I think there's definitely a place for all of it, and he is 100% correct. I, I think that analytics have killed baseball somewhat. Um, but he is correct also in terms of analytics can make the game a lot more fun because he wants to, and analytics wants to see people go for fourth down more. They want to see less punts in the opposing team's territory and more going forward on fourth down, which would make things a lot more exciting. The extent that a lot of these guys do, and, and look, I, I have seen his almanac as part of working for this FTN website. I was able to, I, I have a copy of it on, on, on my uh, PDF. Puts a lot of research into it. And to me, if you put a lot of research into anything and you can back up a lot of your numbers, um, I don't agree with his numbers saying that Dallas is the best team in the NFC. But I'll say this, I think Dallas did more this offseason. Let me clarify. If Dallas had a different coach and a different quarterback and I didn't hate Dallas, I'd be a lot higher on Dallas too. Think about it. They added Stephon Gilmore. You have probably a top five duo at corner in Stephon Gilmore and Trayvon Diggs. Um, and that's in a passing league. You want to have that sort of thing. And if you look at it, um, the be- look at the teams last year. KC had some good corners. The Eagles had arguably the best two corners in the league. That's what we have gone to a passing league, so you want to have good corners. Um, Dallas added Brandon Cooks, and until he gets injured, which seemingly he does a lot, Brandon Cooks, despite the fact he's played on like every team in the NFL, he is a very veteran wide receiver, and he joins a Michael Gallup and a, a CeeDee Lamb. And Tony Pollard did do well last year. Now he is the A instead of the B for the Cowboys. But to me, everything that holds me back other than blind biased for uh, Dallas is I, I'm, uh, Mike McCarthy's an idiot, and I don't like the fact that he's basically going to change the offense and make it more of a ground-based attack. I don't think you can win in this league by doing that. And I don't trust Dak. I don't trust Dak in a big game. I don't trust Dak in any game, really. Um, and I don't trust how much his team loves him. You know, we didn't really talk about as much when um, – Trayvon got in Dak's face at a practice after intercepting him and said, like, I don't remember what he said. He said a bunch of different things. 
But, like, you don't see that. Nobody does that to Mahomes. Nobody does that to Jalen Hurts. Nobody does that to Josh Allen because they all respect him. So I have to wonder, in an organization like Dallas where winning is such a pressure-packed thing, will this team, and if he starts throwing interceptions, will they stay together? You know, as much as I didn't love Dak, I thought Kellen Moore had a pretty solid offense for, for Dallas last year. So if I could put aside my bias, which I cannot because I can't stand Dallas with the passion of a thousand suns, if you look at it rationally, I could see where uh, uh, Aaron's numbers say that they're the best. Now, also, obviously, I'm an Eagles fan, and I think the Eagles are the best. If, if there is no denying the Eagles lost key pieces, but I think Nick Sirianni is better than Mike McCarthy. Obviously, Jalen Hurts is better than Dak. Uh, the Eagles' secondary is better than Dallas's secondary. Their pass rushes are about the same. The offensive line goes to Philly. Um you know, there's just little things here and there. The Eagles can't win in Dallas, although last year they nearly did with with uh, Gardner Minshew. But putting aside all that, I could see a path where Dallas is number one. I'm glad he didn't have San Francisco number one. First off, I just we are giving San Francisco a lot of props, and their defense is better. Obviously, they picked Javon Hargrave from the from the Eagles. So they weakened their competition and added to their own front line. But once again, it comes down to, I don't trust Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's thrown, I think I saw like 10 interceptions so far in training camp. Asking Mr. Irrelevant to take a team to the Super Bowl, granted he almost did last year. I, I, you know, I just, he almost did, but really he didn't. And to the San Francisco fans listening and to the ones on Twitter who still think they would have won that game in Philadelphia if Brock Purdy didn't get hurt, like you're sorely mistaken. Like it's just that wasn't that was not going to happen, and they weren't going to play better than the Eagles did in the Super Bowl on a wet field that shouldn't have been wet. But that's an, that's a different thing. So to me, I could see Dallas and Philly being the two best teams in the division. When he talked about the Commanders, I agree with him once again. He says if you want to win this season, you probably are looking to go to Jacoby Brissett. That's based off the numbers. Now if Jacoby Brissett doesn't look much better then I don't know. But I think going Sam Howell is the right decision, and we will either find out tomorrow or we will find out Monday after the preseason game. I think you'll kind of have an idea that tomorrow, if when they announce, if they announce the quarterback rotation for, for Monday night's game. If we see that Sam Howell's not playing, that's pretty much a key to me. It says he's going to be the starting quarterback. If he plays a lot of the game, I think they're still deciding. Or at least they want to keep Sam honest. Which is all I think they're doing. If they hand Sam Howell the job as, a, as a, essentially a rookie, and I'm going to keep calling him a rookie, if they hand him the job, I don't think you, he works as hard. I think they're trying to keep him working hard by telling him he has not won the job yet. That's my thoughts there. Um, but yeah, I'm higher on the Browns a little bit. It's scary because... You know, the Browns are not exactly the best well-run organization, but I think if Deshaun Watson returns to the Houston Deshaun Watson, I think they um, I think they definitely have a shot in the AFC. Now, I don't know if they're better than the Bengals. It's not a good start for Cincinnati. Joe Burrow's already hurt. I'm a huge believer in Baltimore. I am a huge believer in Baltimore. Upgrade Lamar Jackson's weapons. The defense, if it stays healthy, although already Marlon Humphrey's hurt, so that doesn't help. But if Baltimore could stay healthy, one of the most underrated things is what they have in Justin Tucker. 
if they're down two, they don't have to go as far as other teams do with kickers because he can kick it from 60 yards out. That's something that's huge in a close game. And I like Harbaugh. I think Harbaugh's a good coach, and maybe all this winning he does in the preseason sets the pre- sets the pace for the regular season. Now, some people will be like, well, what happened last year? Last year, Lamar Jackson was hurt, and then he was quote-unquote hurt. So, yeah. Um, I'm definitely not as high on Atlanta, but I see what he's saying. I can see what he's saying with regards to Atlanta. Remember, everybody says that B. John Robinson's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's going to run for 7,000 yards, and he's going to you know, bring back the running back position. And all that stuff that they did on defense sounds well and good, but if Desmond Ritter's a bad quarterback and the defense is out there a lot more than they should be, that's a concern. That's a concern. But, yeah, I think I – think, listen, I've heard Aaron before on other places, and obviously this is my first time, quote-unquote, working with him just joining the FTN family a couple months ago – uh, he he uses Mike Tanier. We love Mike, Mike Tanier. Um, he writes uh, Mike Tanier writes things for this book, and we we've he's he's great to us. And so, if you're interested, go check it out. If you're one of those people, and if you're a fancy person, and you need extra information, uh, this certainly has a lot of information. Now, you can, it doesn't guarantee anything. Although last year he picked the Eagles to make the Super Bowl, I think he picked the Eagles to win the Super Bowl, and they would have if not for terrible officiating. But I digress once again. Um, as much as I don't like analytics, maybe my opinion has to change a little bit. Maybe I have to embrace some of the numbers. And the irony is when I do handicapping for any sort of sport, I use a lot of numbers to do that sort of thing. I just don't dive as deep as all these other people do. But uh, he, Aaron has a lot of respect in the business. There's a lot of people who love what he does. Um, but, yeah. Uh, three two seven zero eight eight eight. That is the phone number. That is the text line. Eight zero four is the area code. A guy who I don't think uses any analytics. And I think, it, and we've had him on Big Game Boomer on Twitter, same name, who posts all the charts and everything. He posted a ceiling and floor for every college football team this season. So basically, the best they can do, and the worst they can do. For example. JMU ceiling eight and four floors eight uh, four and eight. I mean they're not. I would say it's more like eight and four and six and six. But I guess I could see if JMU struggles at the quarterback. Um, you know they don't have the benefit of having two bye weeks this year. I could see potentially they struggle a little bit. But like their home games, their home games alone hosting Bucknell, ODU, UConn. That's three wins right there. South Alabama, Georgia Southern. Appalachian State, there's at least two wins there. I, I don't see four wins as their as their floor. He's got Liberty at eleven and one, seven and five as their floor. I mean, Liberty's got widely considered the easiest schedule in the country, even though they bring back pretty much nobody from last year. Their schedule almost give them an opportunity to win ten games by themselves. Um, they have ODU two and ten, one and eleven. I go to our resident uh, ODU expert, Robert, for that one. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know how you completely disagree with him. I think when you look at their schedule, the one game I know they'll be favored in is Texas A&M Commerce. But other than that, I mean, I would have to expect if you look at their schedule, ODU is going to be the underdog in every game except for that one. Yeah, um, I, I get it. Yeah. The Louisiana, Wake Forest, Texas A&M Commerce, Coastal Carolina, Georgia State, App State are the home games. 
they probably won't be favored in any of those, although maybe Georgia State by the end of the season, but then they could be going for their second or their third win. Their Vegas number is three and a half. Uh, then we go to Virginia Tech, seven and five, four and eight, which I've said all along. It's exactly what I said on this show, and I think the variable nature of how they're going to do this season is the first four games of the season in which you have a wide range. We talked about this with Mike Barber. You can check it out on our website, ESPNRichmond.com. There's a wide range of outcomes for the first four games of the season for Virginia Tech. You would hope they would win the ODU game. You would hope they would beat a bad Purdue squad, and you would hope they would win at Rutgers. I mean, obviously, name alone, you would hope they win at Marshall, but that's, you know, Marshall doesn't get a lot of ACC schools at home. um, Marshall does not get a lot of ACC schools at home, and I'm trying quickly to scroll through my Phil Steele here because Phil Steele, if you haven't gotten it yet, you should go out and get it. They have a lot of notes uh, by each of the matchups, and I'm trying to see if it says the last time a ACC school, um, it does not say. The ACC, last time an ACC school went to Marshall. And then we come to Virginia. Ceiling is 1-11, floor is 0-12. And this is the second one. There's another website that predicted Virginia to finish 1-11. I would put, well, I'm not going to put my life savings because I know some of you out there are reckless. And we uh, any bet or any recommendation I give on this show is for pizza money instead of anything large. I'd almost guarantee that this team's going to win at least two games. Now, what are those two games? Basically, as far as I'm concerned, and this is different kind of winnable with regard, Virginia's road games, essentially, Tennessee, Maryland, Boston College, North Carolina, Miami, and Louisville, I think the only chance they have is Boston College, and we know how tough it is at times to win in Chestnut Hill. That's the one that they have the best shot at winning. The other ones, probably not. They're going to be large underdogs in all of them. Uh, And then the home games. JMU is winnable in terms of its home. JMU has – it's a road game for JMU. And while JMU may be the better team, they're still on the road. It's a home opener, so Virginia fans should probably show up. It'll be a decent atmosphere. That's what I consider it winnable before Dukes fans get annoyed with me. That's why I say that. NC State is slightly winnable in that there is a lot at stake. Brandon Armstrong's on the other side. If uh, Tony Elliott – you know, punches all the right buttons in terms of motivation. Um, we could see a fantastic effort from the Cavaliers. And um, we know that NC State loses games they're not supposed to. That's all the stuff when it comes to NC State. William & Mary at home, it's your FCS-FBS game. William & Mary may actually be better talent-wise. They're one of the top five teams in the FCS. But it's an FCS team still going on the road and playing at an FBS team. I'd like to think... Virginia's going to win that game, but who knows? Then they host Georgia Tech. I still think they're better than Georgia Tech. I think they're out and out better than Georgia Tech. I think the Yellow Jackets just aren't a good football team. Um, For them, it is between playing North Carolina and Clemson, so two tough games for Georgia Tech. Maybe they overlook Virginia. I think Virginia wins that game. And then Duke at home. Duke is better, but I think Duke uh, in Charlottesville is no guarantee for Duke. For Duke, it's also in between North Carolina and Pittsburgh. So this is kind of a sandwich there. And then the Virginia Tech game's a coin flip anyway. Like, let's be honest. Uh, Virginia Tech is better than Virginia, but are they that much better? I don't know. I don't think they are. 
That's a coin flip game. Problem is, if Virginia is terrible and none of the Virginia fans show up, it will sound like Blacksburg in Charlottesville, and that will not help the Cavaliers. Basically, what I'm saying is I see at least two wins. Don't ask me which two. I see at least two wins for Virginia. I think it's ridiculous that I've seen several people say they're going to go 1-11. Let's take a timeout. We'll do one final segment, 106-1 ESPN. Braves are rolling with their sights set on a sixth straight division title and their second championship in three years. Catch the action here on 1061 ESPN Richmond, your home for the Atlanta Braves in the capital city. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN Matt Joseph's here. About a minute left. Uh, obviously, uh, getting closer to the football season. There is a quote unquote game tonight. If you want to check it out on the NFL network, it is the Eagles and the Browns. Uh, coming up tomorrow on the show, hopefully we'll have Tim Murray as he will continue at his usual 315 spot. We'll uh, get into some other futures uh, with him in terms of what's he hearing from the from the Sharps out in Vegas. Who are they playing on? Maybe he's got some award winners or things like that. We'll get his strategy. And then obviously next Friday we'll be handicapping the Week 0 uh, games, the seven of those with Tim. You can check him out on Beeson. Thanks to Aaron Schatz, uh, who joined us earlier. Uh, check out his uh, website, uh, ftnfantasy.com, and uh, look for his hard copy of the book, uh, The Almanac, on amazon.com. Also, knock on wood, we will hopefully have an interview that I taped earlier in the day with Colin Selby, the Randolph Macon star playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, thanks to uh, Robert back at the studio. Don't forget, uh, coming up next will be uh, Bob Black and the Sports Huddle from 4 until 6. Uh, no Braves baseball tonight. Uh, they're back in action tomorrow, and you'll hear it here on 1061 ESPN. Until then, to close out the week on the actual Friday tomorrow, I'll be back 3 to 4 here on 1061 ESPN. Finding great candidates.